0: Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome Life, Money, and Hope week one. I'm excited that you're here. I want you to know something, that, um, that the Bible actually speaks more about the subject of your money, your stuff, and your possessions than it does the subject of prayer. Isn't that fascinating to think about? Now, we would all say prayer is a spiritual thing. It's an important thing. It's a must thing. The idea of talking to God and hearing from God, it, it is of the utmost importance. But the fact that Jesus would spend even more time, when you look at the, all the parables that he told, like over half the parables involve something to do with like your money and your stuff. And here's what you need to get your head wrapped around, is that the idea is not necessarily always God just wants to get more of my stuff. Which is kind of a ridiculous thought in and of itself anyway, as if God needed anything. As if God was suffering. As if, you know, the Dow was down in heaven. And he's like, I need a little boost. Things are looking a little short here. We better make some phone calls, see if some of those big donors can write a check. As if, you know, it's kind of an absurd thought. And so what you need to know is this. Is that the reason why Jesus talks so much about money and the reason why the Bible speaks to money so much is because it's a big deal, isn't it? When you look at your life, so much of your life revolves around money. Most of you are out there working 40 and 50 hours a week. For what? For money, so that you can do what? So you can buy food, so you can have a home to live in, so that you can go and do things. And so, like, your mind is on money. When you look at, like, for example, when you look at people who get divorced and they uh, go and acknowledge some of the reasons why they get divorced, the stress and strain of money is one of the biggest things that contributes to stress in marriage and therefore in d- divorce. And so, it's a big, big deal. And here's the other real reason that God talks about it so much. He talks about it because there is a dynamic in play that you and I have a hard time admitting. We don't want to admit this, but it is still true. Is that in many, many ways, our heart is connected to our money. And our money is connected to our heart. And your heart is actually the most important thing to God. So, like, whether or not you make it millions in life or stay broke your whole life, what it matters most is that your heart is connected to God. But the problem is, is that, and this is what we need to come to terms with, is that actually our money and our heart are connected. If we don't deal with that, then it's going to... And I'll, I'll prove it to you. Look at the scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, Paul is talking to Timothy. He's, he's, he says, people who want to get rich... Now, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is a phrase that encompasses a lot more than that. People who have wrong ideas, wrong ways, wrong thinking about money. People who only see money in one way. Well, they fall into a temptation and a trap. Now, how I many know that doesn't sound good? There's a temptation and there's a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into more bad things. Into ruin and destruction. So, like... He's saying that people that have a wrong idea, a wrong view, a wrong understanding of money, it typically leads to what? Trap, temptation, ruin, and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, let's stop real quick here. It, It doesn't say that money is evil. Money is just a thing. Now, what you do with it, that can be evil. Or how your heart is attached to it, that can be evil. But money in and of it, like Solomon said this, He said, money answers all things. So, like, how many know, like, you can have love in your heart, but if you need gas in your car, you need money. You can't buy, you ever been to Costco and want to get gas? You can't buy gas with hugs. You need money. Okay, You need money to buy food, you need money to pay for things. Money is not evil, but it is the love of money, or basically when your heart is corrupted towards money, it is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have actually wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, and so what Paul is saying is, is like, hey, this money thing is a big deal, and the reason why is because when we have a wrong view of money, ruin, destruction, trap, temptation, some people stray from the faith. They wander in. They produce all kinds of grief in their life, and so it's really, really important because money is somehow connected to your heart, and it leads to some of these weird and funky and bad outcomes in our life. It's a, it's a big deal, and so for the next few weeks, we want to talk about money and take a look at it and say. God, is it possible that your ways are different than my ways and the way that you think about money is different than the way I think about money? And God, what would you have me do? What would you have me change about my heart and my mind when it comes to my stuff? And here's here's the big thing that that I want to get for you this morning, is that God is not trying to get something from you. God is trying to get something to you. Because if you would just give your heavenly father the benefit of the doubt, not the preacher, just... Your heavenly father. If you had given the benefit of the doubt and said, you know what, what if I just trusted God? What if I just said yes? What if I just surrendered to his ways and acknowledged that he's smarter than I am? His ways are not my ways. His ways are higher than my ways. His thinking's higher than my thinking. What if I just trusted him? Because what I would go on to tell you is this, is that God's ways are awesome. God's ways are the best. And so today I want to talk to you about this idea called Beyond the Numbers. Everybody say that. Everybody say Beyond the Numbers. Now, when you think about money, let's just be real, because we'll, we already said this, like money in and of itself is not evil, and money answers a lot of things, and numbers matter. Like, I, I want you to know, like I had a dad, if, if anybody has ever heard me talk about my dad before, my dad was like a really savvy business guy, really savvy investor, really, really smart with money. I, I don't know, you know, th- this is the type of conversation I would have with my dad. My dad would do things all throughout my childhood financially, but I was mostly unaware of them. Like I just I knew he was well off. I knew he was really wealthy. I knew he had his hand in a bunch of different pots and was active and do but I never really paid attention and I get into my 20s and I start reading a book. Many of you maybe you've seen it or read it. It's called Rich Dad Poor Dad. And uh it, it's it's an interesting book. It's a fascinating book. And as I'm reading the book the story in essence about it is about a kid who had two dads kind of. And one was a really really rich dad and that was the kind of his best friend's dad and then one was his dad and his dad was kind of a broke dad. And he just goes through and starts outlining the difference between the way his rich dad would see and think and feel about money and the way his poor dad would. And as he's describing the rich dad, I'm like, "Hey, my my dad does that." And my dad does that. And my dad does that. And my dad does that. and I'm like, and, and what's so funny is the whole book is about how his rich dad taught him all this stuff. And so I'm having this moment of like anger because I'm like, my dad didn't teach me jack. And so when I did, I called him up. Hey, dad, have you ever read this book? No. What's it about? Oh, it's about a rich dad and a poor dad. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Oh, it's about. And I start telling him. And you know what he says to me? He goes, oh, yeah, that's common sense. Everybody knows that. And I'm like, no, they don't. A promise. And, and, and really, my dad was a numbers guy. My dad, the way his mind where he was just a numbers guy. And so I want you to know, like, numbers matter. And actually, the Bible speaks to this. So, like, when you think about numbers, here's some of the things I want you to think about. The first thing I want you to think about is earning. Everybody say earning. All you young people out there, that young millennial, you need a job. okay? <laughs> Go get a job. Stop playing video games 48 hours a day. Stop Go get a job. And it might not even be the job you want. Go get a job. Earning is important. And if you're out there and you're growing, you just got to know this. Earning is important. And you need a job. And then not only this, but like you as, as an earner, you want to begin to think like, how can I increase my capacity to earn? How can I increase my education, increase my earning potential? How can I become the best employee so that I can elevate myself within an organization, within a field, within a whatever? Like, not only am I trying to earn, I'm trying to even increase my earning capacity and like so that's a good thing like like i'll give you this the bible says in the book of genesis is that god made man for work like work is good according to the bible that literally god takes adam places him in an environment and says this is your deal get to work like this is, this is why part of your DNA in creation is to work, and it's a good thing. We'll go read the Scriptures and Proverbs about laziness, which is the opposite of work. And you'll see that in every sense that you can see it, work is good, laziness is bad. And so earning is important. Next is this. Not only is there earning, but how many other spending? Yeah, all the women. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and my wife said, amen. Um, you ever... You ever have this, guys, where, where they're like, hey, look at this. I got this, and it was 40% off. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't need it. So you still spent 60% of something you didn't need. And so the, the other day, like, we went shopping for her birthday, and we couldn't find what we wanted. And so I'm like, oh, babe, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, well, maybe we can. And then, and then she goes online later that night, and she's like, because we were going to either get this, or we were going to get that. You know where this story's going, don't you? We were either going to get this or that. And then she's like, look, I was online and I found this for this sale and this. And there was a coupon for that. And I was able to get it all. And I'm like, yay. Yay, you. Don't clap. Don't clap. Stop it. You encourage that behavior. Anyway, don't encourage that behavior. Um, there's, an old, there's an old saying that, guys, that, that you should always go shopping with your wife, I know you don't want to, and hold her hand. Why? Because then it's less likely that she can get away or get her hand in her purse or touch more things. (laughs) Stay right there and just hold her hand. You save money if you do that. So anyway, um, but but here's a thought. When it comes to your spending, you've got outgoing things, right? Like money's leaving. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? Money is always leaving you. But here's the deal. Studies show that about 90% of Americans are not on any kind of budget whatsoever, meaning they're not tracking where the money goes. And what you'll find is this, is that for you to be a good manager of what you have, you need to be able to track, have a budget, and know where everything's going. Here's another one, saving. Saving's important. Like, and, and again, th- this is a biblical thing. Go, go look, I think it's Proverbs 21, 20, where, where Solomon says, is that in the house of the wise, they have stored up savings. But yet in the house of the fool, they spend everything that they have, meaning they have no margin and then therefore they have no savings. So like that's a really, really big deal. And so like, even when you talk to like, if you were to go take Financial Peace University, the first thing they're going to tell you is you need an emergency fund. You need a thousand dollar emergency fund just for when stuff happens so that you don't have to go further into debt. And then it's the next step after that. And there's all kinds of principles to like saving is is a good thing. Not only is there saving, now there's investing. Um, you know, same thing in, investing. Here, here's a thought. Uh, most of us really like new cars. They made new cars smell a certain way. And then they realized how much we love the smell of a new car that they made new car scent. So you can take your old car and just at least kind of make it feel like you got a new car. It ain't, it ain't new. Um, but like I want you to think about this the average the average monthly payment for a car payment is about 480 bucks. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because this is this is investing. So all you young people, listen. If you take that money and invested it every month, maybe when you're like starting when you're 25 and you did that over the course of the next 40 years until you were 65, if you kept just putting that money away because of this tricky little thing called compound interest. Do you know that you'll have $5 million by the time you're 65 years old? Now you're thinking, how much is that new car really worth now? Nah, it, was it really worth it? And so, you, it, so investing is a big deal. Like there's something to investing. And then lastly is this, is there's giving. Like giving is a big deal. And if you go talk to a financial planner, even they will go ahead and say, okay, this is how much you got. This is how much going on, you know, whatever, whatever. What do you want to give? And there's some numbers out there that say basically the typical American, you know, kind of gives maybe about 2% of their income towards charitable giving. Christians, unfortunately, aren't much higher than this. It's about like three and a half, maybe four percent. And so anyway, th- this is just kind of the idea of giving. And the Bible clearly speaks to generosity. It clearly speaks to giving and faithful giving. And so these are, these are the numbers, right? This is what dad was good at. Dad was good at the numbers. And I want you to know that I believe in the numbers. And I want you to know that the numbers are important. We might even talk about some of this next week. The numbers matter. But what I want you to do as a... Follower of Jesus, as somebody whose heart is turned towards God, somebody living underneath the kingdom of God, meaning God is my King and I am in His world and I'm here to serve God as my King. Then this is where we want to go beyond that and we want to live beyond the numbers. Listen, listen to what this says in in Haggai chapter one, verse number five. Listen to this. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says: Give careful thought to your ways. If you, if you got your Bible, underlined, that. Give careful thought to your ways. Some of y'all are going to feel like this is your, your, this is your Bible verse right here. You planted much, but you harvested little. You eat, you never have enough. You drink, you're never full. You put on clothes, you're still cold. You earn wages. This is that life verse some of y'all feel. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is an encouraging scripture, huh? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. It's the same thing that was at the very beginning of the verse that we read. Give careful thought to your ways. I want you to know this. You have ways. Did you know that? You have ways. Like, y'all have, like, what we just got through talking about marriage and relationships. Some of y'all have marriage ways. You know, you got ways. This doesn't mean they're good ways, they're just ways. They're the way you go about doing it. The way you go about treating your spouse, talking to your spouse, seeing your spouse. There are, there, there are parenting ways. You know, there, there are definitely different, like, career ways. There's moral ways. There's all kinds. There's health ways. You know, some of you, like, you know, the, the, your diet and you're working out. And some people, it's like, uh, I'll just get to heaven faster. And so you got, you got ways. You have finance ways, though. Remember what Paul told Timothy, there are people who look at money, see money and feel about money in a way that ends up corrupting their heart. And so what, what God is saying in this is like, imagine like you got all these financial ways, these ways of looking at, thinking about and treating your stuff, but be careful because when you think wrongly about it and you begin to just do it the way maybe the world does it versus the way God would have you do it, you end up living a life where you're you know, I'm, I'm, I'm earning, but I, I never have enough. Or I'm eating, but I never feel satisfied. Something is missing in life. And he's like, you need to consider your ways. And here's why. The ways of God are different than the ways of the world. They're just different. When you hold the universe in the palm of your hand, you see things differently. So, God therefore sees things differently than you, and he's this loving heavenly father that says, Please just trust me. Please, I beg of you, just trust me because I want you to be blessed and I want you to have an abundant life. But if you keep doing things your ways and you keep abandoning my ways, you're going to end up with all those things like ruin and destruction and trap and temptation. And I want you to live an abundant life, and so I want you to get in in my ways. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Again, when you see the universe, when you see the whole world from the palm of your hand, you just see things differently. And at some point on your journey and everything in life is like this. In all of your ways, at some point, you have to acknowledge God in your ways. Trust God in all your ways. And in doing so, all of a sudden, you find God's blessing over your life because you're now doing it the way that he would want you to do it. And so today, let's talk about living beyond the numbers for the next moment here. The first way that I want you to live beyond the numbers is this. is, is We talked about earning, and that's a number. You need a J-O-B. But there's a difference between a calling and compensation. And again, the way that I want you to look at it is, yeah, you need a job, but I want you to go beyond the numbers and think and consider, you know what? Before I just take a job, before I take a major, before I get into a field, before I commit my life to something, maybe I should first ask the question, God, what would you have me do? God, where would you have me go? Is there a specific calling on my life? Is there a specific plan there or or, or path that you want me to be on? And there's nothing wrong with finding a job that's just a job, but then this is what I really want you to do is take that job and make it a calling. Like realize that you are in an occupation for more than punching a clock, pulling a lever, putting in some numbers. You are doing so much more than just going through the routine of your job that God has actually placed you there. Like that you're meant to be in that place, but you're meant to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Like a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Like like you don't just have a job you have a calling. God has placed you there. And so we pray and ask that before we get into it. And then once we get into it, we say, God, how would you use me? Clearly I'm here for more than just making a paycheck. Does that make sense? I wrote it like this. We don't just need money to live on. We need something to live for. Like, because some I mean, of you know, like some of you hate your job. Um, some of you right in the middle, you're like, I don't hate it. But I don't love it. It just it is. Some of you in that category, we just love your job. No matter where you are at, many times the reason why we 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 hate our job is because maybe we got into a job that we were never meant to begin with. It's supposed to get into. We started getting into stuff because of the money, because of only the money, and we never considered God. What would you have me do with my life? And for some of us, we're in a job and we we're we're so bored in the monotony of it because we just keep doing the same thing over and over, and we've forgotten. You know what? I I don't just have a compensation. I have a calling. Listen to what Paul said, Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Now again, he had a job. As a matter of fact, when, when you listen to him, and this is kind of mentioned in scripture, is that in the off season when Paul wasn't missionary travel, this to make money, just to keep things afloat, he was a tent maker. Now again, was tent making his calling? No, it was a means to an end so that he might fulfill his call. So you have a job, but it's a means to an end. And it's a means to a much greater end. It's a kingdom end. Yes, it's providing for your family maybe. Yeah, it's putting food on the table, but it is even like a kingdom calling. You need to know that there's a difference. So yeah, I want you to earn, but I want you to go beyond the numbers. Number two is this. There's a difference between contentment and consumerism. Because we talk about spending, right? Like you're going to spend. That's in the numbers. You got to buy. You got to spend. That's how the economy works. I want you to go spend. But I want you to realize that there is a difference in a kingdom-minded person, somebody who lives beyond the numbers, that they don't just think about consumerism. They think about contentment. Because we live in a society where we are so driven to, to want what we don't have to want what they have to want what's in the in, in the display case to want what's on the image on the billboard to want what's on that commercial. Why do you think they do infomercials? Do you think they do infomercials because they don't work? All right, let's have a confession moment. How many of y'all are a little bit of info, infomercial junkies? You, you know that that pan. Have y'all seen this new pan? Titanium, calcium, some kind of pan, and you can you can you can put cheese in it and then it just slides. Off. I want that pan. Like, I want that pant. I don't buy that pant. But my my point is, we are in such an image-driven culture. Like, you need to know this. You are the most discontent culture that has ever lived on the face of the earth. And I know that. Because you are in a culture and environment that is more image-driven than ever before in all of human history. Can you imagine living a hundred years ago? You didn't know what Beyonce was wearing. You didn't know what Gucci and Prada and all those different cars. You didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know what you didn't have. You didn't know those even kind of cars existed. I thought that was for European people only. You didn't even know. And so therefore you were content You were completely satisfied and completely happy because you were largely unaware. Now you're aware of everything. When you go onto Facebook, you're always aware of what they have, where they're shopping, where they vacation, and all you can think about. And you drive, some of y'all drive neighborhoods that you cannot afford to live in just so you can dream. But what you're doing largely is fueling your discontentment. It's, you know, know, some of y'all are laughing. Listen, Listen to this. Luke chapter 12, verse number 15, don't always be wishing for what you don't have, which I want to say like, duh, but that's so hard. you lived when people were like, I wish I had that goat. You know what I mean? You don't know what it's like to live in my world, Jesus. Um, for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. I mean, I don't think Jesus could, could spell it out anymore. We just, we just feel like maybe he didn't understand because he didn't have the outlet mall two miles from here. You know, he didn't have all this stuff to tempt him and to mess him up. He didn't have the temptation and the trap of Nordstrom's or Macy's or, you know, Stone Ridge Mall. He didn't have all these things to tempt him. I'm telling you what, there's something beautiful to the idea of contentment. And you need to first and foremost just recognize you live in a world that is incredibly discontent. Queen said it best, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. And that's the world that you live in. And it is a world that makes you feel like if you don't have it all and you don't have it now, that you don't measure up and you're missing out on something, and then you're pressed. And ultimately, this is, this is the worst to buying stuff that you don't need with money that you don't have to impress people that you don't even like. That's the worst. And it's because we missed out on, and and guess what? Contentment is boring. Let's just be honest. Contentment can seem boring, but I'll tell you this. It may be a little boring. Contentment brings incredible peace. And some of you don't have peace in your finances because you have no contentment. Listen to this scripture. Philippians chapter four verse twelve. I know what it is in need, or what is it, it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Meaning, like okay, I've been broke and I've been a balder. I have learned the secret. Listen to this. Underline this in your in your Bible. I have learned the secret of being content. He goes, man. This is different. This is special. This isn't numbers. This is beyond the numbers. This is a secret that most people in life never grasp, never get, and never understand. It's the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well fed or hungry. You know, whether I'm, I'm I'm scraping out, you know, Taco Bell or I'm I'm over at Ruth's Chris. either way, whether living in plenty or living in want. I've learned the secret of being content, and I'm going to tell you that that for me. I have this same struggle and I'll go through my, and this is the way my, my mind will get lost in thought, wishing about what I don't have or wishing I could get this or be this or do this or go here whatever. And I find my mind racing. And when I do that, this is just what I do. I have to literally stop my mind and say, Todd, stop it. And I literally go back to gratitude. This is my answer. This is my solution. I go back into gratitude, and I start thinking about the stuff that I'm dreaming about that I wish that I had, and I stop, and I take a look at everything that I do have, and I start saying thank you, and I literally have a little moment of prayer where I just thank God over and over for what I do have. Listen to this. I wrote this down for you. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of what you already have. That's contentment. And when you have contentment in your heart, you're not so driven by the need to have, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. And you don't live just like a consumer. You live with contentment in your heart. Next one is this. There's, there's this numbers, and by the numbers, there's this thing called savings, right? But in our savings, we want to be God-dependent and not independent. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Most people, what I find is this. Most people get really, really safe and really, really secure when the bank account is full. And we end up, the more money we have in the bank account, the better our 401k is doing, the better our investment account is doing, the more at peace we are. And listen to me, that should be a revealer in our heart that actually my faith is not in God nearly as much as my faith is in the amount of money that I have accumulated. I'll prove it to you another way. This is for people that don't have money in the account. If you ever, when you think about your prayers and your needs and all that you want and it just wrestles and it stretches you out and you worry, if you keep dreaming up scenarios where like, if only I had this much money or if only I had a rich uncle that would die and leave me money, if only I could you know, spill hot coffee from McDonald's on my lap, if only I could somehow come into this huge flood of money, then everything would be okay. That is a indicator and revealer of your heart that you are actually not God-dependent. Because the answer, here's the deal, this is what you don't want to hear. The answer to your real dilemma is not that you need more money, you actually just need more of God in your life. Money is not always the solution, and money is not always the answer, but the fact that you keep thinking it is, is proof that in your heart, you are more confident in money than you are in your Heavenly Father to take care of you. And we have become independent, we have become self-confident. Listen to what, listen, this is a huge scripture, Proverbs 18 verse 11, it says this, it says the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Now that that makes sense, right? Like the more money I got, I got like walls. I got a security team. I got a security system. I got a bank account. I got fallback. I got it. I got all these things. They are my fortified city. But listen to what it says. He says they imagine a wall too high to scale. Everybody say imagine. That's in your imagination. What you believe is that all of your money can save you, and you believe that all of your money can protect you. But listen to me wait until the economy goes through another depression and see what happens. Wait until your 401k cuts in half and see where your faith level is. Are you still confident in God? Or did you crash and burn and lose it all, and you're devastated and you're stressed out and your hair's thinning and you're like, ah! It's proof that what you really had trust and what you, because see, look, I want you to save. Don't get it twisted. I want you to save. I want you to invest. I want you to do things wisely. I just don't want you to have your faith buried in these things. Because when this world falls and collapses all around you, I want you to know you can still be standing because of who your heavenly father is. It is not having confidence in our stuff. Listen to Proverbs chapter 30. This is, a, this is not Solomon. This is a different guy that said that. But this is, it's a fascinating thought. Listen to what he says. He says, give me neither poverty or riches. Listen, neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my, everybody say, daily bread. Where does that phrase come from? Where do we hear that one repeated? Jesus, when he's saying, Pray, God, give me my daily bread. Think about that for a second. The Jewish people, the reason why they had the idea of daily bread is because when they were in the desert, when they would wake up every morning, either God provided or he didn't. It was day, I didn't have, because in the desert, they didn't have crops. <laughs> They they didn't have a forecasted income. They didn't. All they could do is in their day trust God. And so listen to this. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Again, you might have so much that eventually you are not God dependent anymore. You're just self-dependent. You're not God confident anymore. You're confident in your bank account. Or, because he said, Give me neither pocket. Like I don't want to be broke either. I don't want to be poor either, or I become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. What he was playing on was, this again, this idea of contentment. It was this idea of being completely confident and dependent on who my heavenly father is, not on how flush my bank account is. Let's keep going here. Number four is this. Is there's a difference between stewardship and ownership. There's a difference between stewardship and ownership. Now, now, now listen, again, this goes back to your investing. Because by the numbers, you need to invest. Here's the difference, though. When you start investing, I don't want you to think, I'm investing my money so that I can get more for me. What I want you to realize is this. And there's this principle all throughout Scripture of stewardship. This, This is what stewardship really, really means here. Stewardship means God owns everything, and I am his manager. That's what stewardship means. This might be, listen, please, 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 if you checked out, please dial back in with me. This might be the most important financial principle in all of scripture. Because if you get this one, it has this ramification to everything else. When you realize that it ain't yours, it was not yours to begin with. You were bucket naked coming to this world. You didn't have nothing. When you leave, nothing. You got a tombstone with two numbers on it. In the middle is a dash. That's all you got. You are but a window of time. You had nothing when you came in. You got nothing when you go. Is it really yours to own? You got a window of time, a window of opportunity. And it's not yours to own. It's yours to manage. And this is why we ask ourselves, not what do I want to invest for me so I can have more, but rather I'm going to invest to see what God would have me do with it because it's all his anyway. Everything I own, and here, here's the other way I always say it is this, is that I am the owner of nothing and the steward of everything. Now, listen. Listen. When I'm only a manager and I'm not an owner, then earning is important because I'm working as unto the Lord. Spending is important because it's his money and I need to be careful how I spend. How many of you ever take your other people's money and just go spend it? Yeah, you don't typically do that, right? If you had other people's money, you'd be like, hey... How would you like me to take care of this for you? And you would consider them because it's not your money, it's, it's theirs. That's how you spend. You say, God, I realize that you've given me a little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity, and a little bit of money. How would you have me spend it for you? As a matter of fact, listen, this is the principle right here. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. And this is all throughout. I just pulled one. Jesus told his disciples a parable, okay, a story. There was a rich man whose, everybody say, manager, was accused of wasting his possessions... So he called him in and asked him, what's this here I hear about you? Give an account of your, everybody say management, because you cannot be a, any longer. The the whole point of the parable was is that you need to begin to see God as the owner of everything and you the manager of everything. This is true of the parable of the minus, the parable of the talents, this parable in particular. And Jesus is constantly reassuring this idea that, hey, you are a steward of everything that God has given you. It's so important that you begin to see that. And when you see it like that, everything else changes. So again, I'm not investing to make my money grow. I'm investing to make God's money grow. Last one is this. There is a difference between generosity and and misery. Can I get an amen? Um, How many know like the opposite of of a generous person is a miser? There's a difference between generosity and misery. There's this difference. And and here's, here's what you need to know. This is so fascinating to me. I want you to think about the psychology of this. Do you know that on a percentage basis that the greatest givers in the world are not rich people? You know who the greatest givers in the world are? Poor people. Poor people are the greatest givers in the world. On percentage, poor people give away way more money on percentage than rich people do. Isn't that a fascinating thought? Here's here's my guess. I'm speculating. I kind of think that when you're poor, you know you don't have enough to really be confident anyway. And you don't have enough to be independent and self-confident and just in that alone. And you don't have enough to be total. And so you recognize That the only way that I can really flourish in life is to flourish in my relationships, to flourish in the kingdom, just to be a generous person. And Jesus even said it like this. Think about what Jesus said. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And here's here's my main point. The happiest people on earth are generous people. I'll prove it to you. Go find somebody who has a lot of money and yet is incredibly stingy and greedy. They're never happy people, meaning they don't have an internal, inward joy about them. Why? Because everything's about them. Everything's inward focused. The happiest people on earth are generous people. And again, listen, I want you to, to give, but I want you to give because of the kingdom. I want you to give in a re- reaction and reflection of who God is and what he's done for you. I want you to give because of the relationships that it builds because when you give, you're literally adding value and dignity to other people. I, I want you to be a generous person because in the end, there's a secret agenda. I actually want you to be happy. And generosity is the key to unlocking your happiness. As a matter of fact, we wrote it down like this. The value of my life isn't determined by how much I achieve or accumulate, but actually how much of my life I give away. I heard this incredible story. I'll close up here. Um, it was a pastor, and he was telling me this story. And he said that um, he was just encouraging his church to be generous during during kind of a message series. And he said, and so I, I gave him all these ideas of ways they could be generous to their neighbors or people or just randomly or secretively even. And so uh, one of the ways that he threw out was, is, hey, next time you're at Starbucks or at a drive through or something like that, just get up there and, and just say, hey, I want to pay for the person behind me. And you hope it ain't like, you know, like, like the Tahoe XL with 20 kids up in there. Um, you, you know, but anyway, but he said, I just want you to, I want you to just be, be a blessing and just say, Hey, you know, Hey, my name's Todd from, from new beginnings. And I just let him know I wanted to bless him and, and just for no reason, just wanted to bless him. And, um, so he said, we had encouraged people to do this. And he said, a, a week later, we get a phone call from a woman and she, in her phone call says, Oh, I just want to let you know, um, somebody in your church paid for my lunch and it, it saved my life. And, you know, they're like, oh, isn't that sweet? God bless your heart. No, no wonder. She goes, no, no, no. It, it saved my life. She's like, okay, well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? She goes, I had determined that day that this was going to be my last meal. Which stinks, because, like, if drive through is your last meal, like, you, if you, if, you might as well go all out, right? You know what I'm saying? That's how depressed she was. Last meal. And she goes, it was in that moment that that happened on the day and the morning that I had already chosen to end my life that I knew God was actually for me and that God was thinking about me and that God cared and that God loved me. And I made a decision that day that I wasn't going to give my life because God loved me. It changed my life. That's the type of thing I want you to think about. Like Your generosity has the ability to change lives. So like when, we, when we, we, we sponsor a kid through Compassion International or we build a well in Rwanda or we, we go feed kids from Kids Against Hunger and we package food together or we, just, we, or we help people within our church. I'm telling you, it, it all matters. Your generosity, it's twofold. W- watch this, Timothy. This is, he says it again. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. It's meaning like you got a heavenly bank account and you're working on it. You're investing into your eternal bank account. That's what's going on there. And so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Paul's trying to get you to think, I need you to become a generous person because not, listen, generosity will so make an eternal and a kingdom impact that it literally changes lives. But there's a back-end result where you, the giver, actually begin to take hold of life that is truly life. And you'll know this if you've ever experienced it. When you've ever given yourself to someone who maybe didn't know, could never repay you back, it wasn't even the point, you did it and you knew in that moment that it did something for them, that it brought life and hope and encouragement to them. But then on the back end, there was something that went off on the inside of you and made you feel so good. Why is that? It's because you found life that truly is life. I'll give you the other one. Is that you are most like God when you are giving. And your God connector came alive when you did that. You are most like God when you are giving. I'll prove it. The only reason you have life in existence is because God gave it to you. The only reason you have salvation is because God gave up his only son. Everything you have in life is a gift from God all things have come from him. God is the ultimate giver. And when you become generous, you become like God. And the thing that connects you to God comes alive. And then you experience life. I want you to live the numbers, spending, investing, all that stuff, budgeting. It matters, it matters, it matters, but we are different. We live beyond the numbers. Let's pray this morning. (sighs) Father, we pray that God, we would be a different kind of people. That, God, we would be the kind of people that don't just consider a job, but we consider a kingdom purpose. That we don't just spend, God, but we manage. That we, we don't just hoard, but, God, we are content because of who you are in our life. God, that you would have an influence on all of our ways, but especially in our financial ways. That, God, in all of our stuff and our possessions and in our income and in our earnings and our spending, in, our, in all of our ways, God, let us consider you In all of our ways, let us see things, hopefully, as you see things and begin to do things as you would have us do things, God, so that we can take hold of life that is truly life, God. We want to live by the numbers, but we want to live way beyond the numbers, God. We want to invest for the future, God. We want to invest for eternity, Lord. And so, God, help us to be that generous person. Help us to see ourselves as managers of all that you have given us, as stewards of your gifts, talents, your treasure our opportunity, God. Help us, God, to live beyond the numbers. Help us to live as a kingdom people, Lord God. This we pray in Jesus' name. And we all said amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.